Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. How old is the human race? How many civilizations have risen and fallen that we know nothing about? Has there been alien involvement at any point? Well, greetings and welcome to the 850th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Uh, I'm Paul. Uh, ben is doing the producer thing right now. Uh, and those legendary questions uh, were having to do with this uh, very amazing guest we have today. Uh, he's a new guest on a subject of great interest. And we welcome your calls. It's 401-766-1240 from anywhere. Or email paul at behindtheparanormal.com. Or contact us by Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Uh, with us today also, or will be shortly, as soon as we can uh, get her on the, uh, into the system here, is our stalwart, uh, one of our stalwart guest co-hosts, Lori Greer, our, our renowned casting producer, and a practicing behavioral scientist. So, uh, let's get right to our guest. After graduating from the Eastman School of Music, Jim Willis was a uh, high school band and orchestra teacher by day, a symphony trombonist on weekends, and a jazz musician by night, a choral conductor on Sunday mornings before earning his master's degree in religion and entering the Protestant ministry for 40 years. The author of 12 books on spirituality and lost civilizations, he served as an adjunct professor uh, in the uh, excuse me in the fields of world religions and instrumental music while working part-time as a carpenter. Uh, the host of his own drive-time radio show, an arts council director and guest lecturer speaking about topics ranging from historical studies to contemporary spirituality. He lives in South Carolina, and this is his first appearance on the show. Uh, Jim Willis, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Thank you. Thank you. It feels like I'm coming home, to tell you the honest truth, because a lot of those things that you said I did, I did up in Massachusetts, right up in your neck of the woods. Oh, so. no kidding. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. I, I used to live up in the Amherst area and for a long time, and I've probably got some friends listening right now. So I uh, just want to put out a shout-out to that area, that neck of the woods. Oh, that's great. Yeah, we're always uh, uh, you know, happy to hear someone who's been <clears throat> near the old hometown area here. Uh, yeah. But that's great. Well, it's really good to have you and that you have a local connection here. So uh, I'll, I'll pose Ben's uh, first question here. Uh, your book, uh, Jim, is Hidden History, Ancient Aliens, and the Suppressed Origins of Civilization. Uh, so what are the origins of civilization, and who is suppressing information, and why? 25 oh. <laughs> words or less, please. Okay, real good. You know... It's, it's a life, it has been a lifelong quest for me, especially for these last 10 years, uh, since I retired. Um, I had a, a call one night from a very good friend of mine. I, I was a minister. I was up in Massachusetts at the time and I was minister of a Protestant church up there. And I got a call from a hospital and, uh, it was the nurse, uh, who was watching him and she told me that he wasn't expected to live the night. And she said, can you come out here right away? He's asking for you. And so I said, sure. So I went, I went down, uh, you know, in the middle of the night, got on my clothes, drove down to the hospital, walked into the room, and he and I were good enough friends where I didn't have to beat around the bush. And I could say, are, 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 are you ready to go? Now this, this was an amazing guy. This was a guy who, um, was a college professor. He had started his own college at one point at a university, which is still in existence. Uh, he had a couple of doctorates in different subjects, a very well-read man, pillar of the community, um, the pillar of our church. And when I asked him if he was ready to go, he immediately got tears in his eyes and he said, Jim, all my life I've been doing all of these things. 
but I've never prepared for this moment. He wasn't ready to cross over. He had always put that off. So when I retired from ministry, uh, I wanted to find out you know, how, who I am, really. I wanted to know if I was ready to go. And it reminded me of another story. My, one of my best friends from, uh, from high school, it, his father had died about uh, two months before he was born, so he never knew his father. So he had a chance to, to, to build up in his mind this idea of who his father was. And he had this, this complete picture that he had filled in from family gatherings and things his mother said and people had said. And yet, late in his life, uh, when he was approaching his retirement age, just like me, he uh, went up into the attic to help his mother pack things up and to move. And he discovered a bunch of journals that his father had done. Uh, that his fa- and nobody knew they were there. And so as he read these journals, he discovered somebody who was totally different than this picture he had built up in his head. So when I came out here to the woods of South Carolina, I went on a quest, really. I wanted to be ready. I didn't want to leave this life without knowing who I was. And the deeper I looked, the more I got into these lost civilizations, including the people who live right here on the land where we live, uh, perhaps 40,000 years ago, uh, I discovered that we are a, a, a species with amnesia. How can we go forward in life if we don't know who we are? And so I began to look into that. Uh, who are we? What are the origins of civilization? The deeper I looked, the more complicated the whole story began. I could never find a civilization that said we're the first. They always said somebody else has come. And uh, the deeper I look, the farther back it goes. And even uh, in the last 10 years, this has just gone. I mean, who who would knew anything about Denise events 12, 13 years ago? Uh, and yet there are very close cousins, perhaps even um, a, a part of our civilization. Uh, if the um, information coming out of Turkey and Gobekli Tepe is, is, is true. So when you ask the question... Uh, who are who are we? Uh, there are so many ideas, and I don't think we can close our minds to any of them. And that's that's the purpose of uh, our, our hidden history. When you say who's keeping it quiet, uh, I call it the conspiracy of silence. And I don't mean to imply necessarily that there's some kind of a cabal keeping all this from us, although that could very well be. But a lot of times when we uh, arrive at some kind of a scientific conclusion, when we arrive at who we are as a people, our our ideas are set in stone. Uh, This is the way it is. Especially if you're a college professor like I was for so many years, you don't want to stand up in front of your students and say, all that stuff I taught you 10 years ago, uh, it's all wrong, sorry. You don't want to say that. So you just kind of without even necessarily meaning to, you kind of take the information and, uh, you know, sweep it under the rug. Uh, religionists do it. Uh, archaeologists do it. Anthropologists do it. Scientists do it. I find it very discouraging when I was reading about all these people. Now, that wasn't quite as few answer, a few words as you said. <laughs> <laughs> was that enough to get us going? I think so. No, but that's well, a really interesting point, honestly. I, I never I never really considered that, that it's like, you know, say something comes out that suggests that everything that one professor taught was just wrong. 
Yeah, they're not yeah. going to stand there and be like, oh, well, sorry, guys, wasted your time. You know? <laughs> that's, and, that's and, you know, I, I did it myself. Uh, I'm really ashamed of myself. I wrote a book called Ancient Gods about uh, six years ago, seven years ago, and the whole Denisovan culture was, was just... Uh, starting to come out to the seep down into the public public conscience, and so they were coming up with these great ideas about Denisovans and everything else, and they were telling who Denisovans were and how they intermated with the Neanderthals and how they went to here and there, and they were doing all of these things because they had basically one small f- finger bone, and I wrote in oh I'm so ashamed of myself I wrote in Ancient Gods I wrote. And they're coming up with all these ideas about Denisovans because they have one small finger bone. Now we've discovered Denisovan cave. We've discovered all the artifacts. We know all the rest of the stuff. And now in my latest book, I'm forced to say, sorry, guys, I had it wrong. I was disparaging something and I had no business because it's it's all proved true. It's well, easy to do. Yeah, yeah, but kudos to you for actually admitting it. <laughs> yeah, that's not well, very, very common. Well, we've well, been joined by our, our distinguished uh, casting producer and behavioral scientist, Lori Greer. Are you with us, Lori? I am. Hi, Paul and Ben. And hi, Jim. Sorry, I missed the beginning of the show, so I'm going to have to catch up on where exactly you are. Yeah, well, it, it happens. <laughs> yeah, we had a technical glitch here. So we're just going to uh, throw it in your lap, ready or not. Uh, do you have some questions for Jim to start us off? Well, he, he might have um, gone into this and... And, um, you know, this is kind of just some background information, but I'm kind of very interested in how um, Jim went from, uh, you know, trombonist, musician, teacher, composer. Yeah, no tuba, um, I'm afraid. <laughs> no, to, from, um, you know, to the ministry and, um, you know, how that transition went and then to his, um, you know, experiences with his, his biking um, trip and then how he got into... Um, you know, looking looking into um, how life began. Wow, you all cover the ground in your questions. <laughs> this is wonderful. Um, when I was graduated from college, I intended to be a musician, and I was a music teacher. I played with the Syracuse Symphony for a while, and I was uh, I was teaching uh, in public schools, and I had a religious conversion. Uh, to be honest, it was a fundamentalist conversion in, the, in the, the the Billy Graham school, that kind of thing. And I kind of moved over the years as I studied more and more from a fundamentalist to what we call the evangelicals to what we call the middle of the roaders or, and then to the more the liberal. And uh, I moved across that that spectrum. But all the time I was studying and I was teaching because... I was chasing a holy grail that I didn't even understand. And that holy grail was the sense of the spiritual. Um, and when you're a minister, everybody thinks, oh, well, you know, you're, you're tied up in spiritual growth all the time and you're learning about God and you're learning about all these things. And yeah, you are. But the key question is about. You're learning about these things. And I hadn't really come to grips with the essential spirituality. When I uh, retired from the ministry, I, 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 I had a successful life. If I, I, you know, I've written a couple of books and I had a lot of um, uh, successful you know, commendations from people all over the place and I just could have retired. But both my wife and I felt the same way. We hadn't come to grips with the essential reality of the spiritual nature of what it is to be a human being. 
And so when I moved to the woods, oh wow, we we jumped right in. Uh, we weren't going on a retreat. Uh, we came here with an agenda. I even had I even had a Bible verse in my mind. Uh, the story comes out of the Old Testament where uh, Jacob and Esau had, had their famous uh, falling out as brothers, and Jacob had to flee for his life. And years went by, and Jacob was coming home now, and he was about to meet Esau the next day, and he was camped out with his family on one side of a river, and Esau was on the other side. And he didn't know what was going to happen. And he did what we all do when we worry. He was pacing up and down and all that kind of thing. And finally, the Bible tells this strange story about how he met this guy on the riverbank. And uh, they wrestled all night. Don't ask me why. But they wrestled all night long. And when the morning began to come and daylight was breaking over the river, Jacob said the famous words, I, he, he realized somehow, I don't know how you realize you were wrestling with a, uh, with an angel all night, but it turned out to be a, a, an incarnation of God. He was wrestling with God. And Jacob said the famous words, I will not let you go until you bless me. And when I retired from the ministry, that's what I felt I was doing. I, I wanted to get back to that essential spirituality of what it means to be human. And so I came over here to the woods of South Royals, of South uh, uh, South Carolina, and my wife and I built this long driveway back to our place. We had to cut down the trees. I built the house, and we brought in power. And just to prove we were really roughing it, we made sure we had a hot tub on the back porch, all that kind of stuff, you know. <laughs> but we uh, we were out here, and I, I just wanted to wrestle with that essential spirituality. And so that's what we did. We came out here to, to uh, spend one year, and so far it's now going on 11. Uh, and lo and behold, the prayer was answered, uh, not in within the confines of Christianity by any means, that probably wouldn't have worked for me. Uh, it was an essential spirituality that was much older, much more um, pagan, dare I say it. But I, I have to tell you the sequel to this story because after uh, I had come out here wrestling with God, uh, I had written a couple of books and a group over in Cornwall in the, in the UK uh, invited me over to do a, uh, a talk over there to their group and do a presentation on ancient religions. And so I flew to UK. I'd never been to England before and met this wonderful group of people. They're still friends. And, but while I was in the United Kingdom, I said, you know what? If I'm in, if I'm in Britain, I've got to go up to the place where my ancestors came from. My ancestors were, uh, preachers. They were clergy in the United Church. I mean, in the, uh, Church of England. And they preached at a little church up there in the little town of Fenny Compton, which is up north northeast uh, of London. And the same church that they preached in was still standing. And I got a hold of an historian in the town, and she let me into the church, and I was able to stand up there in the pulpit where my great, 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 I don't know how many great ancestors used to preach every Sunday morning. And when I was up there, I had an experience that I had not expected at all. I saw his name on the little plaque. I saw the name Willis on the plaque and uh, who he was and when he was there and where he was buried. But standing in that pulpit, you could look out and see the stained glass windows. And they were the same stained glass windows that he looked at. And one of them was something I had never seen in the stained glass window before. It was uh, uh, an image of Jacob wrestling with God, saying, I will not let you go until you bless me. I want to tell you the hair stood up on the back of my neck. (laughs) 
so that's what's going on, and it's it's still happening here. Uh, I, I learned to douse here. I started doing more research here. Uh, I started to develop uh, a whole network of of, of, of spirit guides, and uh, basically the question has been answered. Uh, uh, and it. it it didn't happen overnight, and it could only happen in seclusion. It could only happen when I was away from all the busyness and away from all the study about and getting into the more the reality of who we really, we really are, and where we stand as a civilization. Well, there you have it. All right, uh, uh, Lord, do you have anything else right now? Because um, probably well, I guess on the really quick because I, I I know there's a lot of questions from um, from the public, so. Um, I was, you know, just in doing some some reading of the book, um, I was looking at the title of the book, um, Ancient Aliens, and I read that actually those two terms and the ancient alien theory really doesn't maybe have the connotation that a layperson might think, thinking of the definition of, um, you know, ancient and alien. So I uh, just thought it would be helpful if maybe you could define how you use those two words and how you them in the title of your book. Yeah, I, I find that just absolutely fascinating today. Uh, when we talk about ancient aliens, I, I'm sure that most people are just thinking of the TV show and they're singing Giorgio and, and the hair and, and all that kind <laughs> of thing, you know. And I'm sure that people just think in terms of nuts and bolts uh, spaceships coming from outer space. I don't discount that for a minute because I'm absolutely convinced that um, within our Within our own galaxy, we are discovering, we're going to be discovering life forms that have found us long before we found them. But I think it goes beyond that because everybody, when they talk about aliens, they all started talking about the craze that began when uh, Eric Van Daniken wrote his book, Chariots of the Gods, and they said the ancient alien movement began in the 70s. I don't think so. I think it goes way, way back before that. And when I began to look about it in that terms and consider this stuff seriously, and especially when I began to study quantum physics and I began to have out-of-body experiences myself, I began to look back within my own Christian tradition. There is a whole history of ancient aliens that people just don't think about. For instance, uh, every Christmas time, I used to get together with my congregation and we would talk about shepherds out abiding in their flock by night and an angel of the Lord appeared to him and gave them a message and then the heavens opened up and all these dimensional angels came and began to sing praises. Well, we're talking about people stepping out of another dimension and singing praises and being seen in the sky and light, and we sing about hark the herald angels sing, isn't that a classic definition of alien, alien activity, aliens communicating with us? And then if you go back farther, uh, back to the time of uh, Elijah, for instance, there you're going to find that actual nuts and bolts spaceship. Uh, you go back and read the book of Elijah, and you find a a classic example of uh, an, an alien vessel that comes here and delivers a message. Um, you talk about Isaiah in the Old Testament and the Hebrew Scriptures about being taken up into heaven. Uh, it sounds like an alien abduction, doesn't it? And there he sees all these strange creatures, and they're hybrids. There are people with human faces, and yet um, the wings of angels, the wings of birds, for instance, like that. Animal-human hybrids. He's seeing 
fantastical uh, creatures that are totally different than anything he's ever seen. And he's given a message to take back. Well, that's a typical shamanic experience. A shamanic, a shaman, a shaman will go to another dimension. He'll have there an eye-opening account with uh, creatures that are totally different than anything he's ever seen. And then he comes back with a message to bring healing to the tribe. That's typical shamanism. So when we talk about aliens being a relatively new craze, I don't think it's new at all. I think we can go way, way, way back in history. And I'm talking now thousands of years so when i talk about ancient aliens i'm not just talking about physical manifestations or as i call them the nuts and bolts spaceships i am talking about those but i'm talking about much more talking about interdimensional travel and uh, the ideas of uh, the idea of being in touch with actual beings who do not exist within the scope of uh, our own perception reality but I think we can open those kind of realities if we take it seriously. But the key is we have to take it seriously. And that's what I hope we do. The mixture of science and spirituality, of science and religion, I think is so important. Because I think both are really seeking the same thing. The trouble is both sides usually don't speak to each other very much. Well, th- th- that seems to be a relatively new phenomenon. I mean, that for much of history, religion and science were... Very similar, if not one and the same, you know, different sides of the same coin. But however, you know, I spent a lot of years in seminaries too, and I have counted over 340 examples just in the Christian Bible, yes. Old Testament, New yeah. Testament, of craft, of beings, of things that today we would say, you know, aha, they, they'd be in your latest edition of UFO magazine. You know, so uh, and then of course the, the the interpretation of the time is placed upon them. Not to mention Egypt, the whole experience of uh, the Emperor Amenhotep the Fourth Akhenaten, who had this vision of of a disc in the sky and changed the whole Egyptian religion and turned the whole town upside down. But uh, that leads us to a question from uh, one of our uh, very very faithful listeners, uh, Peter in Bogota, Colombia. And he has a question for Jim. You got that there, Ben? Oh, of course I do. And Peter writes, I understand that you have been to Egypt. Did you have any mystical experiences there? And secondly, what is the latest information regarding the hidden chambers in the Great Pyramid and the Sphinx? Uh, Has anything been found there? Oh, well, well, first of all, Peter, I feel like I'm coming home talking to you, too. I've never been to Bogota, but my wife uh, spent a year there as an exchange student. So... (laughs) You guys are practically neighbors. We're touching bases all over the place here. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to answer your question in two ways, Peter. First of all, um, the pyramids themselves. I would love to say that I went to Egypt and uh, I stood there for the first time in front of the pyramids and I had this amazing spiritual connection. Unfortunately, I didn't. And part of it is totally my fault, I think. Whenever you go into a situation expecting something to happen and expecting to happen something happen something happen in a certain way, you're, 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 what you're doing is building a wall around yourself and saying, I'm not going to accept anything else. And so when you begin to look for it, generally you're your own worst enemy. Of course, there's something else too. When you go to any of these commercial sites and, and say what you want about the pyramids, they're magical, they're mysterious, and all of that. There's no question about it. But if you walk in to an, a, an environment that is dominated by tourism, 
there are so many levels of uh, heaviness that I just couldn't get through. You can sense that down deep there's really something special. But it's hard to identify with it in the time you have, especially when you're surrounded by, by tourists and by the locals coming up and trying to sell you something for one American dollar, you know, or that kind of thing, or offering you a camel ride and all this kind of thing. The, the, the closest I had was when uh, we did manage to get down into the pyramid themselves, and, and we walked down this long corridor. And uh, I had been told by uh, my, my guy, the, my connection there in Egypt, I had been told, be careful what you say, because Egyptologists... Uh, can be very, um, let's say, short with uh, people who they see as American tourists who are just these fantastic, uh, they would say, new age types and all this kind of thing. So I was trying to be careful with what I said, and I was trying to notice everything. But as we were walking down this long corridor, kneeling over, bending over, to, in some cases almost having to get down on hands and knees because it was so small, we were walking down this wooden uh, plank that they had in there to keep us off you know, to keep from destroying the, uh, the the stonework itself. And I noticed all these wires running along the walkway. And the purpose of the wires was to to power these electric lights so we could see where we're going. And so just to make conversation, I, I wondered, you know, where did those lights... I mean, uh, what happened before you had wires? What happened before you had electricity? And I looked up at the ceiling. You could see it. There wasn't a, a smudge... There wasn't anything that involved that people use torches down there. And I had read all kinds of fantastical claims about putting up mirrors outside and shining it down the hallways. But I realized how limited that was. By now, we were pretty far down underneath there. So I said to the guy who was leading us, I said, uh, I'm not seeing any sign of torches or anything. How did they, how did they get light down in here to work? And at that point, the guy just simply turned his back on me walked away, and as he said over his shoulder, oh, they must have had some kind of a light source. That was it. That was all. Hmm. Uh, he just wouldn't want to... He, he didn't know the answer. So it was the conspiracy of silence that came in again. He just you know, it, ignore the question. Um, as for the recent things down there, I, I, things are still opening up. Um, we're going to close this broadcast about 1 o'clock to my time today, and an hour later... Um, I'm going to be doing a webinar with uh, Andrew Collins, a British journalist and writer, and a lot of those caves found underneath the Great Pyramid are now called Collins Caves. Um, he was the one that first pointed them out, and uh, he made himself, in his words, very obnoxious when he uh, when he just insisted that we have to look into this. And uh, but the Egyptologists, uh, they over, over there, they have their own denomination, so to speak. Um, and they don't like to look into a lot of these things. The, the, um, what were those, uh, the, the, the caves down there, the Collins Caves? What about that mysterious place that's underneath the Sphinx? Uh, a lot of research has to be done, but even more important than the physical research, I think we can do that. I think we can find the money. I think we can find the experts to do the research. What we're going to have to break through is the, the the prejudice because if those caves are real if they predate the um, the pyramids by any great length of time then immediately 
that takes us into all kinds of mythology, which goes way, way back in history, way before the pyramids were built. For instance, uh, there is a tradition that Enoch, the biblical Enoch from the Old Testament, and his son Methuselah uh, were the ones that headed up the original building of this place to um, store the records of all that was going to happen before uh, they had been given word that a great devastation was going to come upon the earth, and they wanted to store them there. If we get down there, and if we can look around, and uh, if we can begin to, to, to actually discover some of these, what will we find? We'll find that the whole Giza complex, and especially the Sphinx, for a lot of other reasons, which you don't have to go into now, but especially the Sphinx, are immensely older than, uh, than we would think. At least 10,000 years old, probably 12,000 years, and maybe even older than that. All right. Well, we're going to take our mid-show break. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM and 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. Our guest today, we have Jim Willis, author of Hidden History, fascinating discussion, and including our uh, lovely guest co-host, Lori Greer. We'll be right back. Stick with us. The night is alive. Join us and take a walk on the weird side when you tune in to The Kingdom of Nye, hosted by Heather Wade, the finest in late-night talk. Listen live free weeknights starting at 9 p.m. Pacific Time at thekingdomofnye.com, talkstreamlive.com, and the Paranormal Radio app. Want to take a ride? Local and live at 99.5 FM. And well, excuse me. Welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. It's WON twelve forty AM and ninety nine five FM, and we're speaking today with Jim Willis, author of Hidden History. We're having some some uh, amazing, wide ranging discussions here. Uh, now uh, we'll ask uh, our guest co-host if she wants to start us off with our second half hour, or if uh, you just want to let me go for it. Well, why don't you um, cover the other questions first from from okay. We do. We have another question. Thanks for reminding us, Laura. Uh, we have a question from Pam in Connecticut. Alrighty. So Pam writes to us, uh, what do you think about the shafts recently found at Stonehenge? Wow. That's a, uh, that's a great question. Um, it's so new that for the readers who have, maybe haven't uh, um, familiarized themselves with this, uh, Stonehenge is about two miles away, a little less than two miles away, from a place called Durrington Walls that was built at the same time as Stonehenge. Um, and Durrington Walls is a, a, a magnificent structure, but it's an enigmatic structure. Nobody knows what it is. It was thought to be made from, from wood, and of course wood wouldn't last that long. But just recently was announced the discovery of this um, fantastic series of shafts that formed probably mostly a, 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 most of a circle around Durrington Walls, uh, uh, and this circle is 1.2 miles in diameter. And these shafts, uh, from, you can tell from the carbon dating of the evidence discovered within the shafts, 4,500 years old, which meant Durrington Walls and these shafts and Stonehenge all built at the same time. To get an idea of what these shafts look like, they're about 16 feet deep and 32 feet in diameter. Now, can you imagine digging a hole 
16 feet deep, 32 feet in diameter, and you're in the Stone Age, so you're working only with stone tools and bone antlers from uh, the deer that were there, dug with, with picks and stone tools. And there were at least 20 of them found, and scientists figure that they're going to find perhaps 30 of them. Uh, some of them they can't dig because of settlements nearby. So here is this two-mile circle in diameter with these huge shafts, 16 feet deep, 32 feet in diameter. What were they for? And the plain and simple truth is nobody knows. Um, it's so brand new. Of course, there's ideas about uh, this and that and the other thing else. But, but right now, it's purely speculation. They haven't hardly been studied at all because it's so new. Uh, they didn't even find them through traditional archaeology. They found them by ground-penetrating radar, radar and by uh, uh, magnetometry uh, images. And But they were all built at the same time. Now, why would you build this great stone structure that took uh, hundreds, if not thousands of years, really, to build, along with Durrington walls, and then why would you surround that with these immense pits built into the chalk, dug into the chalk there? Nobody knows. It's a, a fascinating question you ask, and I sure wish I could answer it, but uh, we'll be watching, because I think there's going to be some great, exciting news to come out of this within the next couple of years. Okay, well, let's uh, shift gears just a little bit here, Jim, and and get into some of the uh, two two theories that uh, are are commonly discussed. One, uh, the most common, is the linear theory of history. In other words, we started out in caves and we uh, kept going uh, in a steady manner until we became the spectacular geniuses that we are today. Uh, and then there, then there is the uh, cyclical theory of history, is that that we've gone from as it were, stone tools to power tools at least four times, at least a lot of the the, uh, the, indig- the First Nations uh, in North America will believe it maybe four times or, or whatever, uh, you know, seeing as a, th- a thousand civilizations could rise and fall in a million years. But what say you? Are you, are you a, um, a, a, the- do you, a, a linear theorist feeling that things are just a lot farther back than we thought, or are you a, cycl- a cyclical theorist? Yeah, for most of my life, I would be in the linear theory camp. Uh, I just accepted it. It's what I was taught. It's what I used to teach in school. We started out as uh, simple hunter-gatherers and then built up and everything else. Over the last, oh, 15 years, perhaps even more, I've had to change completely. Uh, I think that there have been, oh, I don't know how many civilizations before us. Um, and I think you know, when people say, okay, you say there are civilizations that have died out somehow. I call them lost civilizations. As a matter of fact, I wrote, wrote a whole book about them called Lost Civilizations. Um, let me give you just one example of why I, I just can't help but believe that civilizations have come and gone in the past over the history of Earth. Um, in September, uh, hopefully, <laughs> assuming things changed, in September, I'll be leading a group uh, over to uh, Gobekli Tepe and to Turkey. And we're, we're spending time over there looking at the ancient sites. But one of the sites we're going to be spending two days at is Gobekli Tepe. If we don't go in September, we'll be going later because we just have to go there. Um, Gobekli Tepe, when I was teaching school, uh, which wasn't that long ago, 
it was understood that civilization arose in Mesopotamia, between the rivers, between the Tigris and the, and the, and the Euphrates, and uh, that's where civilizations began, and also in Egypt, of course, at the same time, roughly, you know. And, and uh, that's where civilization began, 6,000, maybe even 8,000 years ago, some radical people were saying. And we developed agriculture, and we developed cities, and we developed all this kind of stuff. And that was just the way it was until the discovery of Gobekli Tepe up in the Fertile Crescent in uh, eastern, southeastern Anatolia. There was this tremendous place developed, uh, discovered. Within the last uh, 12, 15 years, it's become big. I, I think Klaus Schmidt in, uh, discovered it back, what, 1995, something like that. Mm. And at the point, he said, in 10 or 15 years, Gobekli Tepe is going to be uh, more famous than Stonehenge, and for good reason. And now, 25 years later, we can say, yeah, he was absolutely right. It's a tremendous undertaking, intricate, uh, shows a tremendous knowledge of astronomy, uh, and it just shows all of these, these great buildings. And these were hunter-gatherers, and this thing was built 6,000 years before the Sumerian uh, civilization. In the last 25 years of human history, we've pushed civilization back twice as long as we thought it was. That's where agriculture developed. Now, how can we say that a group of primitive hunter-gatherers decided to get together one morning, hey, let's build a temple that marries heaven to earth, as above, so below. Let's make it of these monumental stone blocks and let's carve it in these bas-relief figures and let's just put it up here, this intricate, intricate, mathematically designed temple. How did they just decide to do that one morning? And there's no evidence of them building before. The only answers can be that one day they just took a quantum leap forward or they didn't invent the techniques, they inherited them from an Ice Age civilization that was destroyed just before Gobekli Tepe was built. And according to geology, it was destroyed in a very climatic way that, a clim uh, a, 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 uh, that hit the climate and, and hit the geology of the Earth all around the Earth. Best guess, it was probably we were uh, smacked by a uh, segmented uh, climate, uh, segmented comet that uh, exploded in our atmosphere over North America and over Siberia, all, all the way to Siberia, uh, probably 11,800 years ago, something like that. Uh, there was a sudden climate change. We went from Ice Age, the Younger Dry Ice Age, Ice Age period to the, the period we knew now almost overnight. Now, you, we might ask the question, well, what happened to the civilization that existed, these lost civilizations? Where are their generators? Where are their wires? Well, you see the problem we're going right away? We're assuming that, that any civilization that had arisen, arisen with the same kind of technology that we understand. And I wonder if there are totally different kind of technologies that have long been ground away out of the dust that we just don't understand. Perhaps even psychic abilities. Uh, that we have forgotten how to use, that have atrophied within us. I don't know, but if you look within the five billion year history of Earth, there's room to fit a lot of civilizations back in there. And there's a tremendous amount of evidence in stone, and there's even more evidence in mythology and story. You point out the Southwest, the Hopi stories, for instance, of the, of the four worlds, and each time the people emerge from one world to the next. 
I just think we have to start taking this stuff seriously. So, in answer to your question, I'm, I'm, I'm right now. I've been converted. I've had another conversion experience. I'm cyclic <laughs> all the way. Yeah. Well, I mean, because Tesla was working on uh, the transmission of electricity without wires. I mean, this sort of thing. This is all technology that we know about. Oh yeah. Well, I, I always exactly. think it's really interesting that I, I was heavily influenced. Uh, well, I don't want to say heavily influenced, but I really liked the idea of uh, American Gods, right? Uh, written by Neil Gaiman, and he he is you know he, he studied a fair bit of, of mythology, folklore, whatever, and you know kind of he, sort of chronicling and you know fictionalizing people's interactions with the quote unquote gods, and it really mm-hmm. got me thinking, right? That whatever. This, these realities were very real to people, right? You know, some guy's running around in Athens, and all of a sudden Pan pops up and says, hey, I want you to build me a temple. He doesn't question it. He just goes and builds a temple to Pan. And that that was the reality that people lived in. And they must have been experiencing something. And who's mm-hmm. to say that, you know, I, I think we have a tremendous problem, personally, just, just from my experience growing up in the American educational system, that we tend to put 21st or 20th century, you know, lenses on everything that happened two, three thousand, even a hundred years ago, when yeah. the attitudes were so different, and it's yes. like, okay, well, they're all just idiots because they don't have <laughs> have mobile phones and stuff, and I, I don't, I, I don't think that's fair. And if anything, you know, if you have less technology, you got to be smarter with the tools that you have to build great monuments. I, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily impossible for there to be quote unquote aliens, whatever your definition may be, or something completely other helping us out. But I also don't want to discredit um, our ancestors because you have to be smart to survive in the first place. <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah. I, I don't think it's fair to assume it's all aliens. But I, yeah, I. I, I, I yeah. I, I agree with you a hundred a hundred percent, and you know strangely enough i I think we're living in a a, a, a wonderful t- exciting time in history because I think ever since Galileo when science and and religion you know of course totally separated uh, science was supposed to be concerned with the material stuff and um, religion was supposed to be concerned with morals and ethics and all that kind of stuff and never the twain shall meet and so there's been this big battle between them but in our in in the last hundred years with the discovery of quantum physics we're discovering a whole new world that uh, quantum physicists are just beginning to really explain they found this world through mathematics but i think the world that they found is the very same world that mystics and shamans and dowsers have been exploring for thousands upon thousands of years. One group found it through their in their deep, deep intuitive uh, method of reacting with the world. The other found it through very complex mathematics. But in our world, quantum physics is beginning to say some of these wonderful things that that uh, that mystics have been saying for a long time. The whole idea of entanglement. Um, the idea of two particles being connected, being entangled, even though they may be light years apart, uh, they're able to respond to one another instantly with no time for information to pass between them. Uh, or the fact that particles can be in literally two places at once. Uh, the idea of how you envision light is, uh, is, is a matter of how you choose to look at it. Are you looking at it in its position in place, uh, in space, in which case you're looking at a particle, or are you looking at its momentum, in which case you're looking at a wave? All of these things 
I, I think quantum physics is beginning to take um, left brain mathematicians and scientists into that same world that the mystics have been talking about and maybe, just maybe, if we're really fortunate, we're starting to merge the two lanes of traffic onto one highway and maybe we'll discover we've been talking about the whole thing through the same thing throughout this whole time. I hope so. I really hope so. Well, so do we. Jim, we're going to give you a break here and, and let you talk about your books, your website, and uh, where people can find out more and perhaps Ben can be prevailed upon to show... The book we've been talking about. Right. Yeah, go ahead, Jim. Jim? Yes. Yes. No, uh, tell us about your, your books and your website, etc. Oh, oh, okay. I, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. uh, I started writing a series of, of, uh, of books on different subjects. The, the, the one we've been talking about is called Hidden History. Uh, Ancient Aliens and the Suppressed Origins of Civilization. It came hard on the heels of my last book called Lost Civilizations, uh, which followed two other books I wrote. These are all published by Visible Inc. One is called um, uh, Ancient Gods and then Supernatural Gods. But along the way, I wanted to write a book about out-of-body experience. And so I wrote a book called The Quantum Akashic Field. Uh, and it's kind of a field guide for people who want to have out-of-body experiences. Best way to, to find all of them is just go to my website, which is www.jimwillis.net, jimwillis.net. And all the books are on there and um, a little more about who I am. And it tells you where my Facebook page is and the YouTube page and all that kind of stuff. Of course, these books are all available through Amazon, but if you click on any of the books on my website, it'll take you right to the Amazon link, or you can go to the uh, authors, uh, the uh, publishers, which are either Visible Ink Press or Finhorn Press. Okay. And uh, also on the website, there's a contact page, and I love to get letters from listeners. So if you want to contact me, please take advantage, and I'd love to hear from you. I really would. Very good. Okay, three co-hosts. Uh, we have time for one more short question. Uh, Lori, it's up to you. I believe in you. Uh. I don't. I don't know that I heck. <laughs> okay. I can have a short one, but I. But and if a, a Jim can can decide if he even wants to touch on this, I was interested in um, the Akashic records and whether he thought they were more anecdotal or is there any scientific evidence to, um, to prove that these may be you know more than, um, just someone's thoughts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. I. I I, I hear what you're saying, and once again, I'm saying I think I'm a convert. Uh, I would have said that this Akashic record was strictly metaphor. Uh, but then again, you find it in the old religions, too. Uh, when a person dies, the book of life is open where everything is recorded. Um, I think when, when Hugh Everett, uh, a very maligned, wonderful, brilliant man, who died thinking he was a failure, but he was the one who gave us the... Uh, um, uh, the multiverse, basically, uh, and the idea of of uh, information n- collapsing into our own perception, experience, and everything else. I, I I think in terms of the quantum akashic field, the physicists are now beginning to realize that you don't lose information. Um, somewhere it's recorded, and I think uh, all of this information gives us. The reason for this is not just a scientific experiment. It answers a, the question that began this whole show when we began. Who are we? What What is our purpose? Um, it seems to me, and this is 
you know, strictly my own idea, but um, through my own out-of-body experience and also through studying in the mythology of uh, ancient cultures around the world that have uh, seemed to agree with this, I really have to believe that we are here as a manifestation of something that is so big we don't even get close to be um, understanding really what it is. Uh, I think this physical manifestation, this physical body of ours, is uh, simply a temporary vehicle in, during which the essential, uh, Hindus would call it Atman, uh, it gathers experience uh, and begins, that is our purpose, to begin to understand. If you look at it this way, and I, I don't know how much time I have here, <laughs> I'm getting past the short answer, but if you look no, at it through our two, Let's say two minutes. Okay. Um, if, if, if you look at this experience, we, we come from, I'm, I'm convinced, source. We may call it God. We may call it Manitou. We may call it the ground of our being. We may call it uh, Akasha. Uh, the uh, Hindus would call it Brahman. We come from that source, but that source is perfect unity. And how do you establish any kind of individual experience within perfect, perfect unity? You can't. The only way you can gather experience is to leave that source, make a courageous decision. I think we've all made very courageous decisions to come here and to take upon ourselves that, uh, that, that quest, uh, that adventure of individual unity and we gather experience and I believe those are the experiences that are recorded in what we would call the Akashic record they're going back to the collective so to speak and I think someday having set, uh, stood at the bedside of literally hundreds of people who have died having held their hands while they died as a minister um and having seen their expressions and having seen their expressions especially some of the ones who have died clinically and then come back and explain to me what they've seen uh, I wish I could go back and relive those back when I believed that they were experiencing something that was very real at that time I was not a believer and so I think I've wasted a lot of that time but now um, since I have seen this and seen the purpose of life I have a much better I think understanding of who we are and where we're going oh, it's a wonderful purpose it's a great adventure we're on and uh, I'm just so thankful to be able to have folks like you who can uh, give me a opportunity to share some of these things that mean so much to me. Well, Jim, that, that's wonderful and a, and, a, and a good positive note to end the show on. Thank you so much. Give us your website one more time, please. JimWillis.net. Very good. And Check I, it I, out, I, folks. Very Facebook, interesting book. I'm sorry. Facebook, it's JimWillis.author. And Facebook as well. Very good. Jim, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Great being with you. Okay. So let's get to our uh, announcements here. Uh, as we've been saying, uh, sadly, we've uh, uh, received the word a few weeks ago that the 2020 Exeter UFO Festival has been canceled. Uh, it's a tremendous event, though, sponsored by the Exeter Area Kiwanis Club to raise funds for local children's charities. But we'll be back stronger than ever in 2021, we're sure, and we'll be back with our live panel broadcast from the historic Exeter Town Hall. And assuming things are at least semi-normal by October, hopefully. I doubt it. Yeah, <laughs> we can hope. Uh, we plan to be back at the Greater New England UFO Conference in Lemonster, Massachusetts, on Columbus Day weekend. Uh, my dad is scheduled to be the keynote speaker to mark his 50-year work anniversary in paranormal research. 
All right, and uh, well, I have it on good authority that, uh, that that's going to uh, proceed one way or the other, even if it's a virtual event. But again, stay tuned on that for more information. Uh, check out our books along with those of our other co-hosts <coughs> at our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can also find out more about the show, our many cases over the years, public appearances, and how to book us, along with uh, some of our 850 uh, free recorded shows. Those are all uh, on podcast uh, platforms just about everywhere. They haven't all been uploaded yet, uh, but they uh, involve our 11 plus, or actually our 12 plus years on the air, including four and a half year run in CBS radio, along with special shows and podcasts. Now, uh, <clears throat> all right, go ahead to the next one, Ben. I guess. Sure. And just as a friendly reminder, uh, if you are, if you do happen to be listening to us uh, via iTunes or Apple Podcasts, I should say, uh, please be so kind as to leave us a rating. And uh, also leave us a little review. It helps us, you know, get good good feedback, and also helps us uh, grow our show. There are links to several charities that we have adopted on the show, including USA Cares, uh, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Helping Haiti's Orphans, Youth Mentoring Connections in Los Angeles, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America, and the Sisterhood of Ground Zero, along with the Milk Fund here in Northern Rhode Island. So, what do we have next week, Ben? Oh boy, next week uh, we have, which is July fifth. Being Independence Day weekend, we will take the day off and rebroadcast uh, UFOs from the Kremlin with Nick Redfern uh, from our la- uh, last show. Was that our last show with him back in December? Yep. Yeah, well, our, our last show with him back in December. We've got to have him back on. Uh, so December 22nd, we'll be back live on July 12th with David S. Brody and Turtle Island Watchtower. Can't wait for that one. I know. Lori? Well, today we leave you with a thought from Sir Arthur Eddington, and I know Jim is familiar with this quote, and that quote is, the universe is not only stranger than we imagine, it is stranger than we can imagine. Ah. And uh, with that, I'd like to thank Jim, and it was great to be back on the show. So, I'm Lori Greer. Okay, well, we also have another minute or two, so (laughs) uh, I'm just going to, I'll announce my identity shortly, but I'm... You know, Ben and Lori, this is one of the shows I get really frustrated with because, you know, we, it's too short. Mm. We, we didn't scratch the yeah. surface of this amazing uh, thing. Lori, what do you think? Well, yeah, we'll have it, to have Jim back. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we uh, <clears throat> often have been uh, asked to extend the length of the show. However, we're, we're usually sandwiched between the uh, professional sports at one, uh, d- during normal times anyway, and the... Uh, Old time radio in the beginning, which has a very, uh, very uh, dedicated following, and uh, sometimes is a bit miffed if we cut into the time. However, I mean, I don't blame them. It's a great show. Oh, oh, it is. It is. <laughs> well, I like to listen to it too. So anyway, uh, we will be taking next week off, as Ben said, and we will be back with David S. Brody, the uh, the great novelist and also historian uh, of uh, particularly New England's uh, pre-Columbian history and Turtle Island. I'll give you a little hint. Turtle Island is, is the First Nations name for North America. And it's funny, you know, if you look at a map of North America, it looks like a turtle. Does it? Yeah, I think so. Uh, oh, that, that, I didn't come up I mean, with that on my own. He pointed that out, and I looked at the map, and it does, does kind have of do to, like, so. Does he have to flip it on its side? or? I guess. Well, anyway, uh, we're, we're out of time. So uh, you heard from Lori. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. Everyone be safe, and have a happy Independence Day. And we will see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. And a happy Canada Day for July 1st. Yes. Okay. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.